Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. We all remember our first job. And I'm willing to bet we all get a little twinkle in our eye when we talk about it. I worked at a greenhouse in high school. My first job was cleaning office buildings in Long Island for $3 an hour. And what that allowed me to do, being that my family didn't have any money growing up, was to buy football cleats and other equipment in order to be able to play football. I was a barista at a coffee shop in downtown Montgomery, Alabama, um, during the Siegelman trial. So that's why I remember that. It was a really exciting time to be down there. It's my first job. Those are some of my colleagues. And every single one of them had a smile on their face when they talked to me. What is it about work that makes us feel this way? It's pride. Pride in the effort you put forth and the self-esteem that comes along with it. Science has proven this. I bagged groceries at a local supermarket. I was 14 years old, and it was the only place in town that would hire me so young. My mom was intent on me working as soon as possible. Next came a small McDonald's and a Walmart. I wasn't allowed to work the fryer because I was only 15, and it wasn't glamorous. I had a purple visor, but it was a job, and I'm proud of it. I didn't have a driver's license, and my mom was too busy working herself to drive me, so I got jobs that I could walk to. And you know, I don't just get a twinkle in my eye when I talk about where I worked and what I did. I'm proud, too, of my mom and my grandpa, who served as a father figure in my life, who forced me to work, even when I didn't understand why it was so important. And you know, my story isn't original. It's actually very American. It's the foundation of what makes our country so great, the opportunity to achieve anything through hard work. But recently, we've seen a decline in this mentality. Last year, CBS News partnered with LinkedIn and found some interesting stats about millennials and work. A recent survey found 43% plan to quit their jobs within two years. Only 28% of millennials plan to stay in their current role for more than five years. We spoke to a number of millennials who left lucrative jobs in order to travel. They are living in places like Hawaii, France, and Washington State. I was working at a luxury travel company. I was a magazine editor. One of the top sales guys in the company. I was just constantly sitting behind a computer. All my work's done through email, and that was kind of when I got the idea. I can do this from anywhere. Times are changing, and certain people, like myself, uh, that just doesn't cut it. All of this comes at a time when politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders are promoting policies that validate an unwillingness to work. It seems that more and more Americans are unaware of not just the importance of earning a wage, but the dignity and value in work. How did we get to this point? And how can we fix it? This week, Vijay Menon, a research assistant for domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation, explains. 
Vijay, during a talk at South by Southwest, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when asked about the threat of automation or robots, said essentially that we should be excited at the prospects of not having to work. Here's that clip. One of the things that's difficult is, you know, people should not necessarily, we should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work, right? Uh, We shouldn't, we should not feel nervous about, uh, you know, the toll booth collector not having to collect tolls anymore. Um, We should be excited by that. But the reason we're not excited by it is because we live in a society where if you don't have a job, you are left to die. We, we should get to a point and we should uh, structure our systems, whether it's a tax rate, whether it's uh, distributing wealth that is created by automation. Um, if, we talk, if, we, if we approach solutions to our system and start entertaining ideas like that, then we should be excited about automation because what it, what it could potentially mean is more time educating ourselves, more time creating art, more time investing and investigating in the sciences, more time focused on invention, more time uh, going to space, more time enjoying the world that we live in. She also recently introduced a bill, the Green New Deal, that said the government would provide a wage for those unable or unwilling to work. This theme has sort of been building as we've seen more and more young Americans embrace the idea of socialism. Can you explain to me and our listeners why this mindset and attack on work and opportunity is so dangerous? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Michelle. And first of all, I would say that to the argument that uh, people who are without a job are left to die is frankly absurd. We spend over $1.1 trillion on assistance to low-income folks, people who are truly needy. Um, and we're generous in that respect. So I don't know what AOC is talking about there. And then also this general idea, this, as you said, attack on work, it's kind of goes against a fundamental uh, part of human existence. So uh, there's a social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, and he's pretty well known, and he talks about um, human happiness in his book, The Happiness Hypothesis. And he basically says that humans have a basic drive to make things happen, to engage productively with the world around us, to uh, create value. And that's something that that humans you know, do, have always done, and report receiving satisfaction from. So this attack is really going in the wrong direction um, and should not be encouraged. Is there polling to back that up? It seems crazy because I, I feel like we're seeing this everywhere. What do the polls say? Absolutely. Well, Americans do really report having strong, positive attitudes towards work. So majority of Americans, for example, say that they get a strong sense of identity uh, from work as opposed to just having that be something they do for a living. Um, more than two thirds say that they would work in a paying job even if they didn't need the money. So work is valuable in and of itself. And then job satisfaction, which has been tracked by Gallup since 1992, has been consistently high. When it was first polled, it was at uh, 87% job satisfaction. In 2017, it was at 92%. So Americans do enjoy working. They find value in work. And they know that it's important for flourishing in their own lives. Let's talk about the current landscape when it comes to jobs in America. The unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in almost 50 years. 
does that mean that most are employed and happy and reaping some of the psychological rewards you just talked about? Yeah, certainly. So under the current administration, we've seen record low unemployment rates, especially among African-Americans and Hispanics. We've seen record low rates there. Um, But also, we do need to focus on people who are out of the labor force entirely that we're not counting. So over time, um, we've seen an increased population of especially working class men who are out of the labor force. Um, And that's a negative development. We want to connect those people more to work uh, because, as we know from social psychology and American attitudes, work is very important um, for that psychological well-being. So you're saying that there are more jobs available than there are people actually working and there's problems filling those positions. Currently, yes, that's that's correct. So how did we get to this point? This can go back decades. And so we'll, we'll go back uh, to the war on poverty, which uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson launched in the mid-60s, which was basically kind of a proliferation of programs aimed at lower-income Americans to, with Lyndon Baines Johnson's vision was to give people opportunity and not doles. That was, those were his words. Uh, But what we've seen is kind of um, the opposite effect working. So while the war on poverty did help reduce material hardship, um, lower-income Americans are much better off materially. Um, They have lower levels of work. Um, Marriage has collapsed, especially in low-income communities, um, in large part due to these policies. So um, we've, in achieving some progress, we've undone things that many view as sustainable um, ways to fight poverty, and that's what we certainly advocate for here at Heritage. But Jay's right. And since LBJ's war on poverty, despite an attempt to slash spending under President Reagan and then again more welfare reform in 1996 under President Clinton, entitlement spending has exploded. The number of people receiving food stamps has more than doubled in the 21st century. And on top of this, the Obama administration basically gutted work requirements for these benefits. This undid any progress that was made in the 1996 reform, which hoped to weaken the cycle of poverty by reducing dependence and promoting self-sufficiency through work and marriage. So has this liberal viewpoint, perpetuated further by Obama's policies, been ingrained into our youth? Is this the reason why we're seeing more and more young Americans with such a lax attitude toward work? More on this after a short break. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for the agenda on heritage.org today. Vijay, how much of this do you think starts at home with what your parents teach you about work? Absolutely. I mean, I think we all have stories of how our parents instilled values and work into us. I had my first job was when I was 15 working at a restaurant. Um, Now, I didn't I came from 
fortunately a, a relatively uh, well-off family, and I didn't need to work, but my parents understood the value of work in and of itself. And from the beginning, I was working uh, as a host in a, in a seafood restaurant, um, and it was great, and it taught me a lot of really important lessons. So I think the federal government has spent something like $30 trillion on the war on poverty, and we're still losing. We know that throwing money at the problem is not going to fix it. So what can we do to get America back on track? So first, uh, we should strengthen work wherever we can. Our policies uh, do very little to promote work by and large um, out of roughly 90 means-tested welfare programs in our current system. Uh, Only one major one, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families programs, actually requires work. And even in that program, nearly half of work-eligible individuals are idle. They're neither working nor preparing for work. So we do need to uh, encourage and require work among able-bodied adults, um, so people capable of work, so not elderly people, not disabled people, um, people who can work. We should expect them to work. That is something that is broadly supported in the American public. Ninety percent of Americans agree with that principle. That is one thing we should do in in temporary assistance for needy families and food stamps, for example. Um, We also want to not discourage marriage. Um, Marriage is a proven anti-poverty tool, um, and our current system actually discourages and penalizes low-income parents from getting married. Um, If a mother and father each earning $20,000 with two children, if they marry, they would lose 15% of their combined income uh, just because of a reduction in welfare benefits. And so that incentive works against things that promote uh, financial stability and long-term flourishing. And lastly, we don't want to be paying for Um, just mere services in our um, means-tested programs. We want to be paying for outcomes. We want to be funding things that work and not just mere process. And so those are a few things we can do to put our system on the right track and make sure it's actually helping folks. Vijay, what is your advice to a young American who might be buying into the idea that you don't have to work to have a good life? Well, Michelle, through my work at Heritage, I've heard stories of People from around the country who say, you know, from all walks of life, from all socioeconomic statuses, that work just gives value uh, to their lives. It gives them a sense of meaning. It gives them a sense of purpose. It connects them to the world around them. Um, and you can, you know, you can you can not work. You can choose to, you know, do whatever you want. You could, you know, play games. You could, you know, just have Travel the world, backpacking. Yeah, just complete leisure. But what we know from, you know, psychology and from what people say about work, these stories that we're hearing, is that work has value in and of itself. And it it will improve your well-being psychologically, financially, um, and everywhere in between. Um, So that's what I would say. I would say to think twice about that decision um, and, and consider that work can actually help you um, in ways you wouldn't expect. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains. We talked a little bit about the marriage penalty this week, and we have a great episode that explains that further. I'm going to go ahead and put that in the show notes because it's one of my favorite episodes. Also, shout out to iTunes user Crazy Old Maurice. We love your username. Maurice says... 
Heritage Explains does an excellent job of sharing the background, current facts, and future implications of important social, political, and cultural issues of the day in an interesting, winsome fashion. Good listen. Thanks, Maurice. Leave us a comment on iTunes, and we might read your comment out loud on the show. Also, we're always looking for suggestions on future explainers. You can leave a comment and let us know what you want to hear about there as well. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad. It's because of support from listeners like you that we can continue to produce podcasts like Heritage Explains and SCOTUS 101. And you can help us keep it up by going to www.heritage.org slash podcast today to make your tax-deductible gift.